story of Daniel. And I love what I'm going to be able to share with you today. We're, in, we're looking, going to be looking at chapter 1 through 3 this week and next week and, and uh, see where the Lord leads that. But today, the title of my message is Preparing Differently. Preparing Differently. And I want us to start in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 5. We all, as we shared last week, we shared a little bit about the exile that Daniel and his friends were, um, they were in captivity and they were being retrained. And we pick up the story again in verse 5 and it says, The king assigned them, this is to Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were enter, they were to enter the king's service. And among these, and he goes on and he shares the name in verse 6, and in verse 7, and how he changed those names. And we addressed that issue last week. Verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 12, please test your servant for servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And again, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better and all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Everybody wants to go. I want you to go back to verse 19 because everybody wants this to happen sometimes in their, in their life. Whether it's in your work or ministry situation or some kind of skill. Wouldn't it be great if, as verse 19 says, he found none equal. That is a level of achievement and success that if we were all honest, we all would like to have. There is none equal that the favor of God upon us and the blessing of God upon us distinguishes us. It goes on to verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better. So these are young men of high accomplishment. And these are young men who did something great. They were in the king's service. They had distinguished themselves. And there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to want to be distinguished. There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to want to be set apart. Not, not to bring glory to yourself or pride to yourself, but uh, the Lord has called us to victory. He's called us to success. We sing about the call to overcome. And 
there is going to come a time where you wish that you had been distinguished and you wish that you had been favored by God. And I believe that when that day comes, that you will position yourself for God's favor with how you're preparing yourself today. How you're preparing yourself to what God has. And that's why I started in the verse 19 and 20. I want to start at the end today. The end of the story is this. The end of the story is that they were distinguished. They were ten times better than any of the other people that went through the regular training. We like that part of the story. Better than anybody else. The best. Ten times better. We all like that. And we all, a lot of times we want to sing that and say, God, we want to be the best. We, we want to be victors. And, and we, we, Lord, you're going to bless us and favor us. And we're the head and we're not the tail. And we're overcomers. But part of being an overcomer is preparation. Part of being uh, being able to have God's favor and blessing on your life is what you do today to prepare yourself tomorrow. So in the end of the story, we start there today in reading in verse 19 and 20 because here's the question that I want you to ponder. A year from now, a year from now, what kind of person do you want to be? Five years from now, what do you want to be involved in? What type of, what do you want to be doing five years from now? What do you want to be doing 10 years from now? Because can I be honest with you? It's not just going to magically happen. It takes preparation. It takes uh, uh, discipline. It takes you having a plan and preparing yourself for the future. And that's why when I look at Daniel and his friends in, in chapter 1, there are some great principles that I want to give to you that you can apply to your life. Let's start in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Many times we want to enter in the king's service without the training. We want to go straight from the bottom to the top. We want the position, the title, the authority without the training, the discipline, and the mentorship. Write it down, point one, if you're taking notes. Training always comes before promotion. There it was, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had the plan. In verse 5, he said they are to enter in the kings and be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. It is very, very discouraging sometimes to talk with people. And you know we work with young people, and we have a heart for, for young people. David and I do, working with our high school students and college and young adults, about how there's a sense of entitlement that so many people, they want the success without the sacrifice. And they want to rock it to the top, and they expect to be respected without qualifying themselves. It's, it's you know, the, the good thing about the younger generation, and when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about that mosaic generation Y. I've heard about ten different names about them, but the, the people who are currently from about 16 to 30, the great thing about them is they have a great self-esteem. They're not like Generation X. They're more optimistic. Uh, they they want to make a difference in the world. That's a good thing. The bad thing about them is they're, they have a good self-esteem. <laughs> so they expect the red carpet to roll out. They expect the world to, to move out of the way. And, and I think that's not just for that generation. So for those of you who are that age, I'm not trying to unduly criticize you or are, uh, are taught disparagingly because I think all of us have that within us that that we want promotion without training. We want to go to the top and, and sometimes we'll sacrifice or we'll train for a short period, but we have this timetable in our minds and if God doesn't, if He doesn't move 
in our timetable, then we stop the process. You know, there is a very distinct three years is a long time for young men. And there, there is something too, and this is not biblical, this is just a personal observation. There is something about three-year time periods. I talked to a lot of people about that, that there is certain segments of life that, that I think that we, we get trained during that time. But the problem is this, is that we want the accolades, the opportunity, and the success without the training. That's why I love what Proverbs 12.1 says. Whoever loves discipline, this is loves knowledge, but he who hates correction, now this is bold, is stupid. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I, the message puts it another way. It says, if you love learning, you love the discipline that goes with it. How short-sighted to refuse correction. You know, God wants to train us before he promotes us. There's nothing as sad as when someone is promoted too quick or too fast. When someone is put in a position that they're not qualified for. Because then it, it, it is not good for the people that they lead. It's not good for them. It, it's, a, um, it's a difficult situation. And many times that as individuals... We don't want to accept the training because the vision is so compelling and the goal is so real. We're like, you know, we can't wait to get to that place of accomplishment. We can't wait to get to that place of leadership. But we need to be seasoned, just like these young men were. And so I want to just challenge you. I want to challenge you to, to stay in that place of training to stay in that place of mentorship, to stay in that place of preparation because God's timing is always best. And here, here is the truth. I don't care what phase you are. This is not just for high school and college students. I want to talk to those of you who are 50 plus, and I hope you guys do come out and meet with Beth and I this Thursday. There is always a goal. There is always something to accomplish. There's always a reason to dream. Don't stop dreaming. Don't stop evaluating your life. Don't stop thinking and imagining, God, who can I become a year from now? Who can I become five years from now? Because what you do today determines who you're going to be tomorrow. That's the truth. You are not preparing for this week. You're preparing from years from now. Even this message. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and I told him, I said, I'm not preparing for this Sunday sermon this week. I've been preparing the last 15 years for this summer. And what I read today and how I think today and the relationships I have today prepares me for what I'm going to preach about five years from now and ten years from now. We're always in a state of preparation to get to the place where God has called us. That's one of the reasons that one of the things God has put on my heart and on Beth's heart is to help young, young men and women who are about to launch into adulthood. And that's why we're going to meet with our seniors after church today. And we're starting something called Lead Now. And we want to talk with our seniors, but I believe God's going to give this a scope of influence beyond our church. Of We want to help uh, emerging leaders, not just people going into the ministry, but people who are going into the marketplace, people who want to be great Christian leaders, uh, launch into adulthood and get a plan for their life. Start preparing. It's time to lead. And, and how many know we are desperate for leaders. I mean, we need leaders in our schools. We need leaders in our churches. We need leaders in our government. I and mean, we are desperate for leadership. We're desperate. 
but God is taking us into a place of preparation. So here's what I'm trying to say. Some of you are discouraged because you don't see the visions God put in your heart coming, coming to pass today. But can I just encourage you that you are learning exactly what you need today. God is depositing in you wisdom and understanding and vision so when that promotion takes place, you have the character to hold the position that he's given you. Don't be discouraged about preparation. Listen, discipline and training, training is, is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing in your life. When I, I was in college, I, I worked, my first job, I worked at this in a small town, Paola, Kansas. And the, the, the town was 5,000 people in eastern Kansas, about 30 miles from Kansas City, where I was going to college. And uh, it was actually a, a church about our size, which was remarkable in a small town. So there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of good things going on. And uh, every third week, I would get to preach on Sunday night. And that was just a great thing for me. It's, it's uh, really where my preaching ministry emerged. And so I would preach these sermons, and there was this two-lane highway that would go from Paola back to Olathe, where uh, my college was. And can I tell you that that was the loneliest highway in America. I mean, there was not, there were, there were no billboards, there were no trucks, there were no lights. There, there was nothing going on. And during that time, I recognized something about myself. And here's what I recognize that after I give and move in the anointing and pray and, and you know pray and birth a sermon and preach and do all that kind of stuff, that uh, and, and this is common, a sense of loneliness will come over you because you give, give, and you're around people, and then you know you're all by yourself. And I remember during those times, just you know, at the ripe old age of 19, <laughs> praying, God, give me a wife, Lord, <laughs> and. Uh, Thank God I didn't get married at 19. I got married at 22. A lot wiser for years. That's a joke. Come on. All right. Uh, and, and, you know, I thought, man, I just I need a wife. I need a companion because I'm lonely and all this. And how that's helped me now is, first of all, it's helped me uh, working with other single youth pastors and pastors. I understand what, they, what they're going through. I understand some of those dynamics. I'll tell you another thing that's helped me, helped me with is when I come home on a Sunday afternoon or I come home on a Wednesday night and I walk into a house and uh, kids are needing to get put to bed and practical things like Thursday morning trash needs to be taken out. You know, it's kind of taken off that edge of like, I'm the good big preacher here. You get kids, leave me alone and uh, take care of these needs because I've been in the anointing. Um, no, because I remember what it was like to feel that loneliness and abandonment. And now I'm like, hey, this is awesome that I get to come home to a family. But the training time, the preparation, God knew I needed those years of loneliness and isolation to prepare me for what he has today, has for me today. See, that which we don't appreciate, we don't maintain. That which we don't appreciate, we don't maintain. It's in the years of training that we begin to find appreciation for opportunity and appreciation for leadership. And we appreciate what God's given us. Training is important. Training is crucial. Second observation, I want you to go to verse 8. In the training, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. To train properly, write it down, we must eliminate. To train properly, we must eliminate. Dan, I love how verse 8 puts that. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Why was it so important? Here it was that the king had offered him food from the king's table. It sounds like a pretty good proposition to me, doesn't it? To me and you, to, to eat this food. And, and probably uh, Daniel wasn't like conscious about carbohydrates and fat grams and things like that. Here's the truth. The food at the king's table had been offered to idols. They'd been sacrificed to idols. And it was offensive to Daniel and his friends to eat that type of food. And so this was a spiritual conviction. And I find it really interesting that even though he had the spiritual conviction, that he recognized the earthly authority. Look at verse 8. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had already said, don't defile yourself with this food. And even though later we find out through the story of the, of the, burn, the fiery furnace that they obeyed God rather than man, but in this situation, they went through earthly authority in order to obey God's authority. You know, often that in our quest and our determination to obey God, we can be rude and we can be disrespectful to earthly authority. We could do the right thing, but we can do it with the wrong attitude. And that's not becoming to the name of Jesus. It's not becoming to our God. And I love the fact that even though he knew it was wrong for him to eat the food, and even though he had already decided not to defile himself, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way. He recognized earthly authority in order to obey God's authority. And because of that, he received favor from the Lord. Let me ask you this question. What is being offered to you at the king's table? What's being offered to you at the king's table? Because when you're in training, there's some things you have to eliminate in your life. There's some things you have to turn down. There's some things that you have to say, that's not for me. It might be for everybody else. It might be acceptable to everybody else. Everyone around the table is eating and drinking and partaking of that. But for me, I will not defile myself. Some of you, God has positioned you in a place of influence. He's placed you in the king's training. You're getting ready for something great. But yet, there's something at the king's table that's defiling you. Can I tell you that you can be at the right table, but eat the wrong food. You can be in the exact position God wants you to be, positioned to receive the training you need, but the food on the table is wrong. And you have to resist that food and say, not for me. I'm not going to defile myself. I am not going to participate in that. I am not going to watch that. I am not going to break that ethical standard. I am not going to participate in that kind of gossip even though that's what's acceptable in my office. I am not going to defile myself at that table because I might be in the right place and at the right time, but I still have standards in my life that God has for me. You see, that can be inconvenient. Look at verse 12. He says, test your servant for, servants for ten days and give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. You know, if you're a poor Hebrew 
in a distant land without any ability to pay for food and drink yourself at the you're, you're at the beck and call of this king and here he puts out this spread for you and you say all one is vegetables all one is water that's inconvenient that's a sacrifice write it down preparing differently is inconvenient and unusual could you imagine that social pressure that they must have encountered what you're not going to eat the king's table? You're not going to drink from the king's cup? You're not going to take advantage of this opportunity? You know, people, well-meaning people, will try to pressure you out of God's will. Are you crazy? Are you stupid? You're not going to participate in it? This is a chance of a lifetime. But if it's not God's will, it's the wrong chance of a lifetime. If it's not His plan for your life, if it's going to defile who you are, then that's not a positive thing. That's not a good thing. It, the will of God is inconvenient. Sometimes we, we will not have God's best for our life because it offends other people. We don't want to offend other people. Can I tell you that? Sometimes your obedience will be offensive. People are not all going to cheer you on when you obey God. They're going to be offended by your standards. They're going to be offended by your convictions. They're going to be offended by your ethics. The will of God, sometimes we don't, we don't give God our best because it takes too much effort. We don't want to eat vegetables and water. We want to be like everybody else. Sometimes we don't have God's best for our life because we're full of excuses. We don't have God's best for our life simply because we don't want to be different. We don't want to be unique. We're insecure in that. And can I tell you that when you want to prepare yourself, sometimes it's inconvenient and sometimes it takes sacrifice. But here's the last thing I want to say. I want to go back to the beginning. Completed preparation leads us to being distinguished and promoted. That's what he does. We become distinguished and promoted. Let's read it again at verse 18. At the end of the time, at the end of the preparation set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Here's the truth. Many are called, but few are chosen. All the time I hear people talk about their call. I know I'm called. I've got a call in my life. I've got a calling. And can I be honest with you how I want to respond? So what? Get in line. We're all called. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 says, many are called, but few are chosen. You know what? You can forfeit the call in your life if you're eating the wrong stuff from the wrong table. You can forfeit the call of your life if you don't train differently. And this is not to scare you, or this is not to try to like say, oh, you know, you're not going to make it. It's trying to encourage you that this God who's placed such a great call on you, who's entrusted you with this call, this God who has said, you are chosen, you are enabled, you are called, and then you think that it's just going to magically happen, let that drive you forward. You see, God's vision is what drives us. God's vision is what pushes forth the good things in our life. God's vision is what pulls us forward to new pathways. And the fact that we're chosen and called 
I'm not trying to demean you, and I'm not trying to, to uh, um, I don't know, be insensitive, but I'm just trying to shake you out of an apathy. They say, you know, just rest in and say, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. Well, what are you doing about your call? What are you doing? How are you preparing? Because if you might be called, but if you can't eliminate sin in your life, if you can't push away from the table, if you can't do the things that God's called you to do, how can He trust you with anything more? That's why He said, He said this in Matthew 25:14. This is a story that that Jesus said. He said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave them five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. And the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. And after a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. Now clue me in. This is where I want you to get it. I wanted to give you context so you know how powerful this statement is in verse 21. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more. You've been faithful with a, a small amount. And now I will give you much more. Do you understand the principle? You don't start leading someday. You don't start leading when you have the title and when you have the accolades and when you have the money. You start leading now. You start getting and preparing now. You start getting a plan right now. And then he goes on to say, I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. They go on to verse 23. He said it again. He said, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Can I tell you the reason why I push you guys in missions? And I, and I push us and I say, we're going to plant churches in Western Europe, and we're going to reach the Muslim world. You know why I do it right now while we're this church of 300? We're insignificant in the world's eyes. I do it now because if we're not faithful with the money we have now, and if we're not mission-minded now, we won't be mission-minded at 2,000, 3,000, or 6,000. You don't wake up someday and say, we're a mega church, now we're going to do these things. You do it now so that God can entrust you with more. 